In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Gabriella Santanello, founder of A-Line Partners. Welcome to the show, Gabriella. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. I know uh, things can get busy. So again, thanks for taking a few minutes with us today. You know, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about A-Line Partners and uh, what you do with A-Line Partners? So A-Line Partners is a retail research firm, and we mainly provide research to uh, investors, so the financial community, so private equity firms, institutional investors. Every now and then we talk to retailers. Uh, I have, we really do what's called grounds up research. So I have a team of people on the ground going to the stores, gathering data. We're Every day of the week we're out. Uh, and then I take that information, I roll it up and I uh, write a report that goes out weekly. So... That's awesome. That's awesome. And typically, either VC firms or financial firms hire you to learn about maybe growth or, you know, what markets to go into or what's typically? Anything. I mean, it can be from, you know, short term and long term. So who looks good right now? We're seeing certain fashion trends, like who has the trends, who doesn't have the trends? What does inventory look like? Is it, you know, is it high? Is it low? Do we think they're going to meet, you know, it's, it's a lot of it's based around earnings. So it's, you know, we're coming into earnings. So do you think they're going to be maybe light on revenue, but you saw less promotional activity and we'll see great margins or what's their positioning in the market? Are they holding on to it? Are they losing it? Anything. And it's sort of just like the viability of the retailer, the product and very bricks and mortar focused. So it's great that I get to talk about it because I love bricks and mortar. I do too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting too. You, uh, you know, before this, uh, it looks like you worked for a bunch of great brands like Ralph Lauren, and, and tell us a little bit about that. How was that working for these these great notable brands? It was great. So I sort of cut my teeth in sales, and I actually I actually started at a company and an intimate apparel company called Notori, where it was sort of a little bit devil wears Prada. So I was like an assistant. I moved. I know. <laughs> I moved. I had to like julienne her fruit and put it on a silver platter at lunch and do that type of thing. It was crazy. So I did that. I, I moved into sales and I really managed uh, the department store sales. So I, and then I was at Mossimo when they were in department stores before they were in Target, moved on to Nautica and, and Ralph Lauren Children's Wear. And I really managed sort of the in-store experience and not only like buying product, what the product looked like when it went to the stores, we called it maintaining brand integrity. So making sure all the merchandising standards were being met. And then also I did some product development for the Pacific Rim and duty-free shops. So sort of understanding that customer who's like going going in and out of duty-free and what they buy and what they don't buy and what the opportunity is. And so I managed that as well. That's great. How, how are things, uh, you know, changed for you as you're working with clients through, through the COVID days? Have things changed at all? Oh my God, it is completely changed. <laughs> it's totally nuts. You know, it's interesting. The customer has changed. It was very interesting because, you know, pre-COVID, it was like, I need it and I need it now. And there was sort of like this like impatience. 
we found the customers a lot more patient, right? I mean, we've all, all, all of our, we've had this, you know, during lockdown and our patience has been tried, I think, and everyone's a little bit more forgiving and we're more willing to like, you know, I don't, I don't really need the product tomorrow. I can wait three days. And, you know, Amazon now has the option if you're going to like consolidate your orders or, you know, even, even if you go to a retailer, because retailers now we're having so many issues with, with inventory. I remember originally in COVID, we were thinking, oh my God, there are going to be markdowns and it's going to be a fire sale and it's going to be totally crazy. What ended up happening was retailers were able to cancel a lot of on order. A lot of the factory shut down, so they didn't have manufacturing. Everybody shifted to online. So what they had, they were still able to sell. Even though the stores were technically closed, a lot of the stores act as distribution centers. So sales associates were still going in and they were just fulfilling online orders from the stores. So even though, again, it seemed like everything was closed, I mean, they were sort of like operating behind the scenes. So when the stores reopened, inventories are very lean and everyone's in a position where they're like, okay, well, you know, we found out that actually we don't have to promote aggressively and we don't want to get ourselves into a situation where we have too much inventory. So they just said, okay, we're going to continue to just plan it. We're going to take this as an opportunity to just plan our inventories fairly low. There's clearly high demand for it. Nobody's traveling. Nobody's going to restaurants. People had, for the most part, again, like if you're, you know, a retail worker or you're a restaurant worker or whatever, and you were laid off, it's a different story. But you know, there was that level of consumer who was still had like more disposable income. So they were spending their money on just whatever, going to Anthropology or Nordstrom or whatever they were, whatever they were buying. And all you have to do is take a look at the luxury goods market, which has been absolutely insane this whole time, which is fascinating. What do you think is going to remain to like, I, I think we've, we've, we've progressed to, to a bit with, with retail. I think a lot of technologies have progressed a lot and a lot of use of technology, right? But, but what do you think is going to stick during this time frame uh, as we get out of COVID, hopefully here soon, versus uh, kind of what we, what we experienced during COVID? There are a couple of things going on right now, you know, as we get out of COVID. So during COVID, retailers could just kind of throw in like, here's a lot, you know, here's sweatpants and a sweatshirt and like, that's great. And it would they would sell it. So now we're kind of going. We're seeing it go back into this cycle where it, we're we're seeing a fashion cycle now, right? And so we've got the fashion cycle going. And then in terms of the customer, you know, I think the customer is more patient. So I think they're a little bit more willing to wait. We've definitely heard some things about like you know overnight shipping isn't necessarily really where it's at, and they're wait, they're waiting because it's again it's also more sustainable. So there's that. I do think the shift to online is going to stay, but. It's changing because there has to be sort of that 360. You have to have the in-store experience. Retailers have used their stores as distribution centers. If you're running lean inventory levels, you might as well send it to the stores because you're going to fulfill online from the stores. And there's this BOPIS, buy online, pick up in store, where it's got to be in the store if you're going to buy it online and go to the store to pick it up. And we call, I call that pre- it's precision shopping is what I call it. So, you know, I think I think that's going to stay. And I think with, you know, with this shift, retailers are still going to have to have that like experiential shopping experience or it's redundant, but, you know, the experiential shopping. So customers are going to have to like come into the stores and they'll have to be something special there, whether it's, you know, I don't know, a, like a, a fashion show or some sort of event. There's definitely a more personal relationship with cus- your sales associate, customer service, Sales associates are texting people like, here's what I got in. And 
And, you know, Nordstrom is really good at this, where the sales associates will put together like even like lookbooks for their clients and they'll send them like they're like personal stylists. And then the customer will want it or they'll come in and try it on. And, you know, sort of having that like personal level to shopping, I think, is that's going to stay and evolve. Do you think as as you're providing these like in-store research you know, components to investors and, and, and otherwise, is, is that going to provide an edge to these investors of retail stores? Or how, how do you like, what does your research uh, help do for these different VCs and, and, and these financial firms? So basically what it is and how I had mentioned, you know, sort of over the past year, you could just throw a sweatsuit into the store and that was going to sell because everybody was at home. Well, now to me, it's like, look, it's opening back up. And as we see it, and I, I have people across the country, so I get feedback from, you know, Texas, so from Dallas, Nashville, Orlando. So we've got like some markets that are a lot more active. And, you know, it's just, we're in a fashion cycle. So who's got the fashion? And and we I've actually seen it over the past like nine months or so, how some of these retailers, like where it started and sort of where it's going at this point. And now it's like, okay, well, now your design team really has to be like on their game. Like they have to be out there. They've got to be there with the trends. People do have more disposable income, but they're also going to be fighting for that experience, right? So customers have more money because they're psyched because they're going to get a dress and they're going to go out and whatever they're going to do, but they also want to go on vacation because nobody's traveled. So it's going to be share of wallet. So we're going to have to see like what I would report is, you know, who has the trends, who's doing it right, what's the right assortment. Another thing is, is we're seeing a major shift in silhouette. So we're seeing wider leg bottoms and shorter tops. And that is, you got to make sure a lot of retailers get it wrong where the tops aren't proportional to the wider leg bottoms. So you got to make sure that everything fits properly and, you know, they've got the right product, the right messaging as well. You have to have proper messaging. And that goes across, like, I look at retailers from, again, Anthropology to American Eagle to you know, Nordstrom to Ulta. So we look at cosmetics and beauty and there's been a big shift in, in that market as well. So it's interesting. If I if I was a retailer, I would definitely, you know, use your services to be able to, oh, you know, you. kind of look at my competition, right? Like all yeah. the time. And yeah. What are some key metrics that you pay attention to when you're when you're looking at these in-store operations? We look at anything from you have to establish a baseline in the store that you're at. So it's like I can't just go to Texas and be like, oh, my God, there's so many markdowns. I mean, that could be the way they operate. So, you know, we look at a percentage of, you know, regular price to the total sale to the total of what's going on in the stores. We look at positioning of product. You know, if you walk into a store and the sale rack is the first thing you see, that typically spells trouble. We look at when merchandise arrives and how quickly it gets marked down. So we can see the shortening and the lengthening of, of the cycle. So some retailers, even though they're lean and mean, business may actually not be that great because we'll see them like all of a sudden the markdown cycle is like two weeks versus typical four, which means they just want to cycle through the inventory. So we look at that and then we just do good old customer shadowing. We talk to sales associates, any bit of information we can get, you know, we try to get. And I always tell the people in the field who work for me, I'm like, listen, you know, it might seem minor. But what starts to happen is I'll get information from Seattle and then I get the same tidbit from Dallas and then I get the same tidbit from Orlando. And then we're like, okay, we're picking up on a trend here because we're starting to see the same thing. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you touch on is, you know, in-store experiences, 
becoming even kind of more important here coming out of COVID. What are some guidance that you give, you know, retailers on in-store experiences? Well, number one is customer service. I mean, yeah, you have to have product that sells, but let's say you have product that maybe someone, you know, try something on and it doesn't fit right, or they can't find what they want. If you don't have like a, a salesperson who is well-trained, who is a problem solver, who can handle conflict, who understands how to diffuse situations and just make things better, the customers never, they're not going to come back. I mean, they're going to remember, they're going to go online with social media, Yelp, wherever they're going to go and give you bad reviews. And it's a personal thing. It's you got to have that good old fashioned customer service. And if, if you don't have that, that can sort of make up for shortfalls and other things. You know, maybe technology failed, maybe you didn't have the right inventory, you know, so you have all these other little minor failures. But if you've got great customer service and you just make someone feel better about the situation, then, you know, that goes that goes a long way. Are there things that you look for in like changing in in like how a store looks or feels uh, for, for these retailers as well for that experience? Or is it really like the basic components of, you know, the, the customer service and, and positioning and all that good stuff with their products? No, we look at different things. I mean, it can be anything from sort of the layout of the fixtures and what people see and they don't see. There's a great book that I read years ago, and I'm sure you know of Paco Underhill. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Call of the Mall. And I'll never forget it. It was when when Ron Johnson took over JCPenney and everybody was like, go check it out. Like, you know, see what's going on. And I remember going and I was like, just drawing on the call, call the mall. I was like, there's so many things that are wrong. You know, it's, it's signage at the door. Well, when you come in, you're sort of relaxing, gathering your thoughts. Where do I go? You're not looking at signs. When you're exiting, you're not looking at signs because you're like, where did I park my car? Where are my keys? You know, what, what's that about? It's like positioning of, of signage. It's, if you think about it, a lot of retail stores, you walk in and you hit like a barrier. So it'll be at a wall or a table. And that's because you need to stop and then think about like, okay, now what do I want? And that's intentional so that you can slow down and you sort of, they sort of guide you through the store. You know, Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister are perfect examples of that. The minute you walk in, you hit a wall and then you go left or right. So, you know, we look at things like that. So we look at positioning of like, are customers actually seeing what you're trying to tell them with your signs or with your product and where you position it. Like sale, they typically make you work for it. You got to go to the back of the store. That's why when sales at the front of the store, you're like, uh-oh, you know, something's wrong. Where the cash wrap is located, like what the sales associates are doing. We look at all of that. That's the the laundry list. And, and all of that together, even though, you know, it can have like a it can have a major impact. It seems minor, but once you sort of put it all together, it can it can have a, a, a pretty major impact on your sales. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I've been paying more attention to uh, that that flow of uh, in store, kind of how they set up uh, things to see how they're guiding me, if you will. Right. So, what's Gabriella? What's you've seen a lot of great experience, a lot of probably in store experiences. What's what's one of your favorite? I would say my all around like retailer that sort of does it all is really Nordstrom. And I know it seems, it seems kind of boring, right? I hear that all the time. <laughs> I know. And it's just from customer service to, you know, cosmetics being accessible to having even during lockdown, like virtual fashion shows to just being able to sort of digitally communicate with your sales associates and do that like pre-shopping. 
And I just think that they, they've always been the gold standard and I think they continue to be the gold standard. Other retailers I love, like I think Urban, so they own Urban Outfitters, Free People and Anthropology. I think they do retail very well. You know, they create an environment, you know, anthropology is the typical like sort of nesting and it sort of like has that appeal to the woman who's shopping there and they've got the great smells and the different categories. And it's sort of like, um, you know, the large format anthropology stores are kind of like a reimagined department store in a way. And it's a little bit more intimate and it's kind of like girls day out. I mean, they even have some where you can have coffee and then the brattle salon and you name it. So I love them. And then just in, for, in terms of merchandising, and I know they're struggling now, but like J. Crew, I mean, you know, you walk in and it's like, we believe in this sweater. We've got it in 12 different colors. It looks like we always used to say when I was at Ralph Lauren is it almost looks like a jar of like jelly beans, right? Like it's like, it's appealing. You walk in and you've got all these different colors and it's just like beautifully laid out. So I like that to going to the, I mean, they're not publicly traded in the U.S., but like JD, the sort of the new finish line, like that is so like, it's so experiential and they do all these like Nike pop-up shops and they have different, you know, just like the different products that they highlight. And it's almost like they have like a little basketball court in the middle of the stores. So I also, I love going into those stores. And then the other store that I love to go into, and it's going to seem totally strange, is Zoomies. I love Oh, I haven't Zoomies. been in one. Oh okay, my God. Check it out. You have to go. <laughs> <laughs> Zoomies is like like a a guys it, they do carry some women's now but it is like a, a like an action sports skate urban store that is so these people are so passionate about what they do that I could go in me middle-aged woman and I'm like all right tell me like what's going on what are the trends they will tell you everything and I write these things in my reports and my clients are like that is hilarious like all the things you learn that, you know, you get from the sales people who just live, eat and breathe this lifestyle. And they have this thing like this couch and they have like the, like this, you know, they do these events around their couch. So every store has like an orange couch in it. And it's got like, I mean, they're dirty. No, it looks like it should belong on the curb actually, but it's like dirty and it's got writing on it and whatever. But it's kind of like this like guy hangout where you could talk about gear. And then they realize like more than likely he's bringing his girlfriend in. So we have to, okay, by the way, have some stuff for her. But it's a great, you know, they sell skateboards, shoes, graphics. It's great. It's a fun story. I got to check it out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you got to go in. I think one thing that you brought up that actually we've been talking to a lot of uh, different clients about is the correlation between why is like a J Crew that used to be really hot not doing so well now, whereas other retailers in the same kind of category are doing well. Why, why do you think? I think they had some missteps and I think they just veered away from their core customer. And I think once she left, it was very difficult, very difficult to get her back, you know? And I remember it so well, because it was right before they went private. And I remember it was like, Jenna Lyons was still at the helm. And she kind of came out with like a little bit of an edgy fashion delivery. And the product they started to bring in wasn't that like, you know, Mickey Drexler, like made his name at, you know, like Banana Republic when he just, you know, obviously Gap, but I remember Banana specifically, it was like, in their heyday, tons of different colors of, you know, they believed in the key item. And he really believed in, you know, yeah, the customer can tell you with their vote of what they're going to buy and what they're not going to buy. But you have to, you got to believe in something and you have to tell the customer, like, you need to have this and have these impactful presentations. And that was kind of his thing. And then I remember it was just, it was a little too fashion forward for their customer. And she just really wanted like high, you know, nice quality fashion basics that she could put together. And 
kind of make a statement, but not be too out there. And I think that I think they kind of walked away from that and then they raised their prices and then the fabrics sort of deteriorated a bit. They didn't have great quality fabrics. And I think once you lose your fitting for a few years, you know, or your footing, you know, it, it's it's hard to come back. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the learnings, too, is is I think and I don't know if you've seen this, but coming out of COVID, one of the things that even the smaller retailers have been able to appreciate is is really kind of keeping true to what your your brand promises, if you will, right? And making sure that you also, I think the good thing that came out of COVID is you're able to now using, you know, kind of the online data of, of like purchase history, like what inventory maybe should you keep more of in store or whatever, right? And I think that, that definitely is helpful. Yeah, customers, you know, authenticity is a big deal. And they know when you're not being authentic. And I have a few examples, you know, I have an example, one is Victoria's Secret, and this is actually way pre-COVID. But I remember when they they had the bralette out when bralettes were big and they bring the bralette out and well, oh, guess what? Everyone's bralette was 20 bucks, but Victoria's Secret thought they could charge 30. So then we start to see them like market down in the stores and they re- actually reticketed. They didn't market down. So they reticketed them at about 1995. And so they're selling the bralette and then they do this whole campaign like it's the real you, no padding. And it was this whole bralette campaign in August. And it's this big deal. And it's on the windows, the whole thing. And then the next month, they go back to their push-up bras and, you know, overly sexy. And we're like, okay, that's not that that's strange. And the customer was like, yeah, no, we're not having it. Then like a year and a half, two years later, they have the, um, they bring on a, a plus size model and a transgender model. And that just kind of fell flat. They had it on social media and they didn't follow it up with any signage in the stores same thing. The customer was like, well, I still go into the store and I see the stick, you know, the woman who's like super thin with the thigh gap, but you're representing something different on social media. Finally, kind of, they started showing plus size women in the stores in the fall, this fall. And unfortunately it was too late for them to go and change their semi-annual signage. So it was kind of funny. It was like, you know, October, November, December, it's plus size, plus size, plus size, semi-annual in January, everyone's skinny again. And then now we go February and everyone's like normal, right? So anyway, I think people could smell the inauthenticity and and now they're being a little bit more true to their, they're practicing what they're preaching for the most part. They had that little hiccup, but we're hopeful for them. Well, it's inter- interesting what you're saying too, because it, it, it's, I even see a gap with, as we talk to more and more retailers, their online versions of themselves don't you know, portray in store and, and vice versa. And I think that little thing is actually a big thing, right? Uh, yeah, your, your customers want to be able to see what your brand is all about, what you really believe in, if you will, and, and how you portray yourself. So I, I absolutely agree with you. You know, you, you really have strong roots in fashion and apparel. What are, what are some trends that you're, that you're thinking we're going to see towards the end of 2021 and beyond? Oh my God, I'm so excited. It's so fun. <laughs> So we're finally, after years of talking about it, we're seeing the wide leg denim. So we are seeing anything from like like a wide straight leg. So we're seeing carpenter jeans come back, which were big in the 90s. You got the hammer loop. We're seeing the carpenter jeans come back. Most Everything's mostly high-waisted still. Um, we're seeing it go to a little bit. Nothing's, everybody's asking me like, and everybody's going to wear crop tops and have a, their belly showing. And I'm like, no, nobody's belly showing. So they've got the high-waisted, and then they have like um, flares, bell-bottoms, exaggerating flares, whatever you're going to call them, balloon bottoms, which are a little bit more voluminous, and then they sort of, it's almost like, what did they used to call it? I can't remember, where they would like 
fold in at your ankle, whatever that was called. So we're seeing sort of this like wider leg bottom and then tops are getting shorter. And for a women, mostly it's like hit at the hip. Teens are going a little bit more cropped. It still doesn't show a ton of your belly, even if it is cropped. So we're seeing that um, that is a shift in shoe. So in footwear, we're seeing chunkier footwear. So that's like wedge sandals, platform heels, a little bit more of like lug sole sneakers. We're seeing also for the spring and summer months, jeans that'll hit at the ankle. So they'll be wide leg, but they'll hit at the ankle. And then we're seeing like a lot of Converse, like Converse high tops and kids are wearing also Jordans are still popular. So we're kind of seeing that. And that also leads to like sort of third in in line or so it's apparel, footwear, and then a handbag. So what's interesting with the handbags is during COVID, we saw women move to larger handbags because you got to carry a lot of stuff, your hand sanitizers, your masks, whatever. Everybody now kind of has that down to a science and also maybe, you know, a little bit less of, of what, you know, they're carrying not as much. So now we're starting to see it go back to some smaller handbags. So that's like a smaller crossbody and... So we're kind of seeing these smaller bags, specifically in luxury, we're hearing it. And then now it's sort of trickling to like the Kate Spades and the Coach and the Coors. So it's different. It's exciting. I mean, 12 years ago, we had what they called the reverse triangle. And it was the skinny jeans and the voluminous top. And now we're kind of finally seeing that shift. And the nice part about it is it drives units, right? Because you can't wear your voluminous tops with your wide bottoms. So we're hearing we're hearing from a lot of the retailers in their earnings report, and we've been seeing it for a little bit, is that it's just very outfit driven. So people are like, well, I need I need an outfit. Another interesting thing that I talk to a lot of my clients about is everybody's like, oh, it's going to be the roaring 20s and everybody's going to go out and they're going <laughs> to shop a ton. And I'm like, they are going to shop a ton, but I think it's going to be a little different because there was a really big de-urbanization, right, that happened during COVID. A lot of people left the cities. So it's a little bit of a different lifestyle. So don't think in your head, you know, all of a sudden we're going to see a bunch of like sequin cocktail dresses and sky high heels fly off the shelves. It's going to look a little different. So maybe she'll have like her fancy jeans and she'll have like a nice top and like a little jacket or something. So it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit where we'll see some different products, I think. It's not going to be necessarily what everybody thinks that, you know, the evening handbag or, you know, any of any of those products. I think we're going to see a little bit more of like a dressy casual type of a thing. That is so interesting. I, I learned a lot right now. That, that's great. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, thank you for that. That was, a, that was a great amount of information. Anything I forgot to ask, Gabriella, that you would want to make sure our listeners also uh, get some more advice from you? I just think like in, in terms of bricks and mortar, and what what we've been seeing seeing out there is just what I want to see more of is just continuity between what's online and what's in the stores from a product offering standpoint, because it's really frustrating where I'm going to throw one out and I love them, but Lululemon, like you can't buy a legging at Lululemon anymore. You got to buy it online and they just don't have the inventory. And I wish they, I wish they had better size runs and of more colors and and again, I love them. I think they're doing, you know, a fantastic job, but that's just my wish list. So I, I think that's the thing. It's like people want to get out now. And yeah, online shopping is important, but you gotta you have to understand people are gonna start going to the malls. I was just in the mall this weekend. I'm in Los Angeles, which is heavy lockdown still, considering compared to the rest of the country. And people are out, like they want to go shopping. And 
you got to have the representation in store. And if you fulfill online orders from in store anyways, what's your excuse? I don't think there's an excuse. So. And being that you're in LA, uh, before I let you go, any, any sort of favorites there as people start to travel again that you would recommend? I know there's a lot. It's a big, big metro, but. <laughs> I was just going to say, well, if you come to Los Angeles and you want amazing Italian food, you have to go to Felix in Venice, which is phenomenal. Felix, okay. okay. Oh, yeah. You got to go to Felix. I would say that's probably my number one. Okay. Any favorite shopping malls? Oh, yeah. Well, Century City Mall is a Westfield sort of concept mall. And they've got an eatery, the only eatery in Los Angeles, which is really fun. And they have some really like interesting retailers. It's not your typical mall. So I would say Century City is great. In order for like when I go to the mall and I go to like that, you know, I got to get a good perspective of like mass retailers. I typically head down to Orange County, believe it or not. LA for such a big county has like a little bit, our malls are a little strange. Like we've got some like, we don't have the, the, you know, varied retailers that you typically have at these like mainstream malls. So, and then come to, if you come to LA, you got to go on a hike. I mean, everybody goes on hikes in LA. So you got to do your hike in like Agora Hills. And then you got to go hit some of the biker, the biker restaurants um, in the Hills and have a nice hamburger. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, perfect, Gabriella. Thank you again for your time today. That was a great conversation and I appreciate all your time. All right. It was nice meeting you. Have a good day. You too. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com.